Hello and welcome to The Price of Music, the show that looks at the money behind the music industry. With me, Steve Lamack and Music Allies, Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge. Hiya, Stuart. How are you? I'm good, good. How are you, Steve? Yes, just back from Belfast, having seen Ash play there last night on the opening night of Independent Venue Week, which uh, went very well. And also leads us quite nicely, actually, into our first story this week. Uh, Let's start with something which is obviously very close to my heart. The charity The Music Venue Trust, which campaigns on behalf of and supports the UK's grassroots venues, uh, issued its annual report last week. It arrived uh, with a launch at the House of Commons, uh, an event hosted by the Labour MP, Kevin Brennan. Uh, I'll own up here. I went along to this uh, as well. I was invited along uh, to this. And there were quite a few MPs in attendance, I have to say, from both the major parties. Uh, But the report itself, it's a a mixed bag, isn't it, I think. Uh, But it does have some quite worrying stats in when it comes to live music at this level. Yeah, it does. I mean, it's one of those things where it's a really important report, but it kind of can be quite bleak, can't it? So I think one of the big stats was how many venues have either closed down or stopped hosting live music in the last year. And I think it's 125, which still leaves, I think it's like 835 left. So it, there's still a lot of independent venues, but it's very, each one of those venues, if you think it could have hosted hundreds or thousands of gigs, it could have put on community stuff, it's quite a kind of worrying situation. And there were some number stats as well. There were some, um, I think they were saying the average venue makes, I think it's just over 600,000 quid a year. And the average venue's cost are 597 grand a year. So kind of that's a three grand margin, which which sounds like, you know, okay, they're in profit, but that's the average. And I think it's, it's oh, I'm trying to remember this stat. It's about just under 39%, I think, the venues made a loss, which obviously you can stem up for a while, but, you know, it goes on too long that's when you shut down yeah i think there was there was some interesting um stats regarding why it's becoming so hard to run a music venue rent increase i think the average rent increase for a grassroots music venue was something like 37.5 percent so it's it's knit to beginning to touch 40 percent in terms of a rent increase and obviously there's increased energy costs uh increases along the supply chain so beer is probably more expensive uh, to buy in uh, and as you say this this has had a tremendous effect on the profit margins the profit margin is up marginally from last year when it was 0.2 percent and i think it's 0.5 percent <laughs> this year but i mean these are very fine very it's a very fine margin you only need two gigs where you can't sell out a venue and then you then then you're in debt all of a sudden yeah and i think the thing that really made me think was like um when you hear about businesses closing down, you might have that moment of thinking, well, maybe they weren't doing well. Maybe they weren't successful. But reading the report, you see these are they're selling out gigs. They're, they're, they're selling, they're doing really well. And it's just this perfect storm of costs that's making kind of well-run venues that just can't carry on. So that's the worrying thing. It's not about venues that are kind of badly run, losing loads of money because they, they can't put on good bands. So yeah, it's kind of quite quite tough, I think. Yeah, I think this is the well. This is well. This is this now bodes the question that uh, with venues, well-established venues like Bath Moles closed uh, last year, and that have been putting on gigs for forty-five years. I mean, they've had everyone through the Sundays and Radiohead to more latterly Ed Sheeran. But if if they and they were they were as you say they were selling out gigs, but it, because of the rise of the running costs, does this now mean? that the 200, 250 capacity venue just isn't currently financially sustainable. Uh, and if that's true, 
then what do we what can be done about it or you know otherwise you're faced with just another hundred venues probably closing down this year so that's the question do we need a new financial model for grassroots music venues definitely and i think it's one of those things that music venue trust is really good at because they've been putting this message out putting these figures out and it feels like a sort of it's one of those problems you're storing up trouble for yourself if you don't address it for the music industry because these are the venues where Coldplay started out, Muse started out. Like a lot of the, the bands that have come through, a lot of the artists that come through, it's where they cut their teeth and it's where they learn to play live, I guess. They made they made the mistakes in front of, you know, four people and a dog so that they would be brilliant yeah. in stadiums later on. I saw Coldplay early on and even the dog didn't turn up. <laughs> I remember seeing Coldplay when they, it was that tour with Terrace, wasn't it, I think? And Terrace were the, were the name band and Coldplay were kind of supporting. Uh, and that was in those venues. And, and these a lot of the venues they played on that tour, I think, have shut down. So it's, yeah. But I mean, I, I think, uh, right, right in thinking that, that, that this report, it's not just about the bad stuff. They were saying they've got some ideas. Is that correct? They've got some ideas of what they can do to kind of start fixing this. Yeah, I guess this is, this is I mean, this is the next point. So what are, you know, the potential solutions? Um, we've seen a lot of crowdfunding going on for venues, um, certainly through COVID and after after that where venues have struggled, having survived through COVID, have now found that it's increasingly difficult to keep going. Um, and there has been a lot of very successful crowdfunders. The only problem is, is if the... If, if everything, you know, if the financial pressures persist, if nothing changes, that once you've crowdfunded them once, in a year's time, you might have to crowdfund them again if, if we can't change the model. So there is, I don't know, there's, a, there's various ideas. I mean, the one uh, coming off the back of the report and um, uh, Mark David from the Music Venue Trust, I think, favours currently this solution um, because obviously you could go to government and ask for some money or um, I think the solution favoured by the Music Venue Trust at the moment is a ticket levy. So a £1 levy on tickets being sold at arena and stadium venues uh, and potentially even festivals as well, I think. But one pound, so each a pound from every ticket sold at a big gig basically goes back into a pot to help the live music industry at the lower levels. The question is then, how do you implement this and would the big venues and the big promoters come on board with this idea? And at this point, I've got, I almost, and this is very early in the pod to be doing this, but I almost feel like I should recuse myself here because as some of you will know, I've, I've recently been appointed chair of LIVE, which is the live music industry trade body, which means I am partly involved in this. So it's slightly difficult to comment at this stage. But a £1 ticket levy, do we know hypothetically, and it's probably difficult to estimate, but do we do we have any idea, Stuart, how much a one pound levy would raise? Yeah, well, I was really curious about this. So I actually I, I cast about trying to find how many arena and stadium tickets were sold. And it's not easy to get those numbers. But so I emailed Mark David at the Music Venue Trust and asked him, and he said, "Yeah, they've modelled this, and they, they reckon it would have raised about twenty eight million pounds in really? last last year." And that depends, and he said he said that depends on who's touring, it depends where they're playing and how they're doing it. But that's just shows of more than five and a half thousand people capacity venues, and it doesn't include festivals. Um, and I was looking around, I think the O2 did a press release at the end of the year saying they'd sold, uh, I think, two and a half million tickets last year. So that's, you, know, you can sort of get a sense of the scale of it. Um, and for now, I think there was a really good, there was an announcement last year. I think Ticketmaster did a deal with the Music Venue Trust. It was a voluntary thing. When you were buying a ticket, you could choose to give a quid. 
Um, so that's been tried. And I think there are some bands doing it as well. We wrote about, I think Enter Shikari are doing some stuff that you've been looking at where they're kind of almost taking it on their own back to do this sort of thing. Is that right? Yeah, Enter Shikari said that they would voluntarily, as you say, off their own back, that they would, from their own money, they would contribute one pound per ticket on their stadium tour. Uh, and again, I mean, it's it's quite hard finding out all the uh, precise um, numbers involved in this, how many people you can fit into all these stadiums. Uh, but there's a very rough calculation. And if anyone from Enter Shikari or the Enter Shikari team would like to get in touch and give us a better, more reliable set of figures, please do. But uh, I looked through, I found a website that listed capacities of the venues they're playing. And I think in total, it's somewhere around 55,000 people. Uh, the total capacity, as I say, uh, don't 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 quote me on it, but it's it's thereabouts. Uh, so that's fifty five thousand pounds from one tour alone, from one band alone. Which, I mean, it's not shabby, is it? No, and I think this is the thing. This is a good thing. I think we're seeing artists kind of coming out and seeing this problem and trying to talking about it and doing something about it. And that's going to be big. I think. I think that the the artists who remember where they came from playing those venues, they're going to have a really good role to play in this. I think of kind of getting everyone thinking about what happens if these venues go. And yeah, I mean, I sort of, I don't envy you really having to sort of balance the, 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 the big, the big, the big, but it's weird. I mean, in a way it mirrors that debate in football, doesn't it? I suppose if like the Premier League's doing so well, so how should that money be passed down the levels? We almost have that same situation here of like, how can we, preserve those those independent venues that are they are so important like such an important mm. thing i can't the, the bands i went to see in in tiny venues when i was kind of just getting into music and some of most of them have went on to do nothing at all i, I wasn't really a bit but you know some of them did some of them are the ones who kind of you know made loads of money for their record labels and made loads of money for venues and did you know really well and i think we need to preserve that but so i hope that this kind of campaign goes somewhere I think as well it's important to uh, emphasise that just, uh, again, coming back to why some venues might be closing or struggling, it's not because it's a bad night out. It's not because they're doing badly. You can still you can go to a gig, and going to gigs is, is great. I recommend it. And in, particularly this week, it's Independent Venue Week this week. So if you're, if you're listening and you would like to put a few bob, uh, a few coppers in the hands of your local promoter, uh, have a look on the Independent Venue Week website. There's a there's a whole list of gigs. You'll find all your local listings there, and uh, uh, and that will be a start. Um, but I think this more will come of this because I think it is getting to the point where more people are realising that whatever it is that's got to be done, something has got to be done. Um, there was another big story. Now, this broke this morning, and this is something which uh, you've been covering. Um, it was embargo, I think, till midnight. So the story broke earlier on today. It's uh, Again, it's a report, but this one's about misogyny and pay inequality in the music industry. It is, yeah. It's a, So it's been a, a parliamentary inquiry. It's been going on for the last year and a half. It's kind of a running theme, isn't there, of the Houses of Parliament already in this, this podcast. Um, and it's by the Women and Equalities Committee, and it's into misogyny and music. And it's just been having these public evidence sessions, hearing from women in music, artists, and in the industry talking about just the horrible shit they've had to put up with, essentially. And this report has come out, and it's I, I think it's it's excoriating. It really is. It's that it's in, misogyny is endemic in the in, in the industry. Uh, it's a boys' club. Stuff doesn't get changed. And this whole report is is it lays out what's wrong, and it lays out I think it's thirty something recommendations what should change. Which I think we were talking about this, saying well we should need to cover this, but actually mm. covering it properly is going to need. I think we want someone in to talk to us about it who's involved and and 
some more time. But yeah, it's been a really big story today. Like the BBC have carried it, all kinds of media have carried it. And it's one of those things where this report is going to, I hope, lead to lots of lots of change. But everyone's still digesting exactly what. So I think we're going to come back to it, aren't we? Yeah, I think that would be a good idea. I didn't have much time on the way back to today to look at it. Uh, but once we've dug, it, dug into it more, and of course the financial concerns in the in the report, um, we'll, we'll definitely return to, to, to this. In the meantime, here's something that we have had a chance to mull over. Uh, stats again. Uh, how much am I enjoying these stats already? These are the latest stats regarding plays on the streaming service Spotify, where we find there is a lot of overlooked music it appears. What is the figure? It's, I mean, it will surprise people just how unloved the the music on Spotify can be. It's true. Yeah. So there's a company called Luminate. They do a lot of data research for the music industry. They produce charts and they track 7.1 trillion music streams last year. And they made a report based on that. Um, and what they're tracking is there's 184 million tracks that they're, they're kind of analyzing. So that's kind of the, the, the available catalog of recorded music. And of those, yeah, 152 million of them were streamed less than a thousand times last year, and 45.6 million tracks were streamed exactly zero times. Like literally, nobody streamed more than 45 million songs that are on streaming services. And it's it's a stat that, again, it's not maybe a surprise. People, some people did know this, but having it for public has made everyone go, "What the hell? How much? What's going on?" <laughs> So and the one important thing I think is it's, it, I don't think this is new releases. Like if you imagine if you're an artist and you, up, you upload a song to Spotify and streaming services, you're going to stream it. You're going to get every friend you know to try and stream it, family members, band members. So I think most of this is catalogs of older stuff that came out a while ago is sitting there, but no one is listening to it. And it's uh, it's a lot. Yeah. You see, because this, I mean, th- this is interesting because this comes off the off the back of another Spotify story or announcement. Didn't they? It's Spotify announced oh, a little while ago now, a few weeks ago now, that um, they were going to stop paying the creators of tracks which got less than a thousand plays. So if you have less than a thousand plays, am I right with this? If you get less than a thousand plays in a year, Spotify are going to stop paying you. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's part of this big. This big push, which is, is being described in the industry as like artist-centric. So it's kind of changes to the way streaming pays out, um, which people hope is going to be a difference for artists. And so, yeah, so in Spotify's case, they're going to stop paying royalties if you've been streamed less than a thousand times in the last 12 months. Um, Deezer, one of their rivals, are doing something slightly different, that they will, they will boost your royalties if you have more than a thousand streams a month from more than 500 listeners. So there's kind of different companies approaching this, like what is the least popular music? And the idea is is they want to shift the money towards the artists who are getting more than a thousand streams or they they sort of feel like anything below that is maybe not someone making money from their music. Like you're making pennies if you're getting less than a thousand streams and they want to shift, but those pennies add up in total. So they want to shift those towards the kind of aspiring professional artists who maybe could use the money um so it's kind of it's weird, one of those weird stories where i think a lot of people have reacted a bit negatively to it saying we don't like this idea of someone saying i'm just going to stop paying royalties for this songs with this amount of streams you know we had no say in it but spotify did say it reckons that it could shift an extra i think it was an extra billion dollars over the next five years 
towards artists who are trying to make a living from their music. And that's the kind of the positive message coming out of them is that we're, we're just shifting it towards people who need the money. Mm-hmm. Um, I, don't, I mean, the, the problem, surely the problem is though, that, I mean, you're above a thousand, maybe you get 10,000, 20,000, but the money, that money, which is coming, which has been taken away from the creators of the music, less than a thousand plays a year, um, that money because of um, how Spotify pays out, isn't a lot of that money just going to go to the same people at the top because they're the ones who've got the most plays, so they'll benefit the most from this new pot of money. Won't it end up just going to Taylor Swift? <laughs> Taylor Swift, Drake. And the, yeah, it's one of those things. This has been a long-going debate, hasn't it? Like, there's been a debate. People have been up. There's another idea that's been talked about for a long time now called user-centric payouts, and that's where... Whatever you listen to, your individual Spotify, Apple Music, whatever you use, your the royalties from your subscription only go to the stuff you listen to. So if you only listen to jazz, it's only jazz artists getting the royalties from your... And that's been talked about for a while. And that's that's something that's not being put into place at the moment by most of these big services. Um, mm. And that's the whole can of worms of why. Like, like they're, you know, <laughs> is it because labels don't like the idea? Is it because the services is it complicated? There's a lot of a lot of kind of debate over that. Um, but yeah, I think uh, it's one of those things, really. I mean, I've been covering streaming music since Spotify launched in, in 2008. And I think over that time, there's been this, this distrust, level of distrust that's built up between, for a lot of artists, both distrust of streaming services and distrust of labels in some cases. And so when you have a change like this, like, okay, we're going to stop paying certain songs that aren't getting streamed at all, and we're going to shift it. I think people are looking ahead and going, well, what if you change that threshold to like 5,000 streams or 10,000 streams? Now, how could this get worse for me? So it is one of those things now where when anything like this, which could be good, I mean, in theory, it could reroute money to people who are professional artists. Uh, but I think there's a lot of suspicion or caution or wariness about, you know, how could this how could this not be as positive as we're being told? So that's going to all play out, I think, over the coming months. Uh, yeah, I, I, th- I think at one point, somewhere down the line, we're going to have to, um, well, in the not-too-distant future, I think we will spend part of an episode, I think, just explaining how Spotify calculates their royalty payments because it's it might not be the way you think it uh, should happen or it does happen or you imagined uh, it would it would happen we'll, we'll, I think we'll come, I think we should come back to that um, because it, myself I could do with another lesson in exactly how streaming services pay and how much they actually pay uh, which is always is always a good game uh, what's next oh now now TikTok uh, you're you're the, you're the more tech and social media savvy of the two of us. I mean, it's a very low bar this end, uh, but TikTok is testing an AI song feature. What does that entail? What fresh horror does this present? <laughs> I know. Well, see, I say I'm a TikTok expert, but I've I've got two teenage boys, so that's my that's my. I'm terrified of TikTok, and I, I write about it for work. Um, but yeah, so this is a test, and it was it was spotted in the wild, and actually since it was found it's been it's it's been removed and it's not happening any at the moment so i kind of there was some negative headlines and they stopped it but basically what it was was if you're on tiktok and you had access to this feature you could type in some lyrics and it would turn them into an objectively terrible song (laughs) or well the ones that have been published and sort of shared sounded terrible um it's not like so it's not it's not an ai making the music so they've got this catalog of production music in-house 
So what the AI is doing is turning a lyrics into a into uh, generating lyrics for people and then picking the piece of music they go with and like packaging it into a song. Um, and there were some really funny ones sort of shared where you go, goodness, I'm not going to ever listen to that again if I can help it. Um, but I think I'm really interested in this. This is one of the, so I think we're going to talk a lot about AI music and artificial intelligence over the coming months because it's like the big, the big industry topic at the moment in recorded music. Um, but this is one of the areas I think is quite fun. Like if you're on social media, if you're on TikTok, if you're on Instagram or ever, and you've got some way to create songs to share with friends, like it might be someone's birthday or your mate's football team has just been hammered. And you're like, I know, I'm going to create a song all about this event. And, I'm gonna, and they're going to have an, some kind of AI tool to help me do it. It's kind of just separate, I think, from the recorded music industry. It's not going to cannibalize, you know, artists. Uh, it's going to be something people do create for their friends and share. Um, and I don't really mind that. It's kind of fun in a way. Just in terms of the the, the money. So with this, you know, the, the, obviously the sort of the beta example, which went up and then came down. Um, so have musicians given them the backing tracks uh, and do would they get paid royalties do you see what i mean for if they're music if you've provided some music which has then been retweaked reinvented via this um, ai feature does does anyone get paid from 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 that well i wish i knew about this deal i don't but so tiktok had a a catalog of of production music in-house so i would assume they've either produced that themselves or they've worked with a production music library to license it, or they've paid musicians to create it. So yeah, a lot of this stuff, I mean, actually quite a lot of the AI music that's written about, they are production music. And that's where you basically go to a company that you know would previously have done music and sold it to film companies, TV companies, games companies. Um, they have a catalog of music that's kind of all, the, they have all the rights there. They can sort of say, yeah, we'll license this and you could train on this. So that's what, that's a lot of the stuff that's happening at the moment because the music industry in terms of labels is still figuring out how do we want to license this? How much do we get paid? So, yeah, I mean, it will be a, a company as big as TikTok will have done this in a way where no one's going to sue them. Um, that's, that's, that, that's, that's, you have someone in there saying, yeah, we have to do this by the book. We can't just like scrape loads of artist music and do it. But that is one of the big debates in the industry now is like, they want to be, they want, if music is being used, that is kind of commercial music. They want it to be licensed and paid for. Um, but yeah, so in this case, the, the one thing with this sort of thing, like if people are going to start making AI made songs and sharing them with friends on social, it, it, the one way it could kind of affect the money for the music industry is if I make you a happy birthday song with an AI and send it to you on TikTok, um, I'm not using Stevie Wonder. Oh, I'm not. I mean, what else is it? I mean, Stevie Wonder is the obvious one you'd use. And if you were wishing happy birthday to someone with a song. But so that's the only thing is maybe if, if people can make their own songs and send them, they won't be using commercial songs. So Stevie Wonder won't be getting paid whatever he gets paid by TikTok for that. So that's the that's the area of potential. I don't think Stevie Wonder's up at night worrying about his TikTok royalties right now. I'm just, I'm just wondering how much uh, Robbie Williams gets paid for angels at um, funerals and you know all the, all the traditional wedding songs that are used as well, now that people are going to make up their own wedding songs. We all walk down the aisle to this monstrosity we invented on our stag do on TikTok. <laughs> excellent i'm here for that i'm here for that though right. i think that could be quite i think it'd be quite but it is i think this is, we'll come back to this theme a lot i think but this idea of yeah. can ai be a tool for your own creativity not to compete with adele drake taylor swift 
but to kind of just create stuff and share it and have fun. I think we're going to see a lot more of that. So this is obviously TikTok. We're thinking about it. They've kind of taken it off test for now, but I reckon we'll see more in the coming months. Talking of suing, we we do have a very good potential court story in a second. Uh, but we wanted to mention this, though. This is not exactly the price of music because this is free music. Uh, have you seen this? Reverend and the Makers, John McClure, bless him, is giving away a song a day. Yeah, it sounds like the ultimate New Year's resolution you think might end badly. <laughs> I'm going to give away a song a day this year. But yeah, so they're giving away a song, a song a day. You sign up to the mailing list and every day you will get a new song. Uh, there is a caveat, like I signed up. And when you sign up, you get the email welcoming you. It says, an exclusive song a day, brackets, almost. <laughs> so there's a, and I, I think that's very wise. He's leaving himself wiggle room because he might have to, you know, do. But yeah, and, it's, and he's going to be taking requests, which uh, requests yeah. as long as they're not rubbish, it says, I think. So he's, you know, you know, the, you know, the, if you let the British public request or vote on anything, it ends up with Boaty McBoatface and that sort of stuff. So I think, I think he's seen that coming. He's like, right, I'm not covering Cheeky Christmas. No, I, yeah, I, I'd, um, uh, I'd, I've signed up uh, and I think he has missed one day so far. Uh, today, we're recording this on Tuesday. Today's tune was a cover version of the new single by the Libertines. So helping his friends out. I like it actually. I like it as a, as a creative challenge. Like, you know, I'll do a song a day. Um, I like it as a thing to rule your I think that the serious, the, the serious, boring money thing behind it is like if you're an artist now, your mailing list is so important. Having a good mailing list, growing over time. And this is a really good way to do that. He, he's been, and then he can then tell them about concerts, releases, but he's doing it in a way that isn't just promotional. They're getting something in return. So I do like it. But the one thing I was thinking, and you probably remember more of these than I do, but. I remember when Ash did like a single every fortnight, like from A to Z, didn't they? Yeah. And that was, and then I remember before that, the wedding present did a single every month. And I think they wanted to get 12 singles. So it's, it's accelerating like every month, every fortnight, now every day. So to trump this, someone's going to have to do a song every hour, which probably, probably someone on TikTok with with or without an AI is thinking I could do a song an hour. I don't know. Yeah, it will be it will be tech it will be tech driven probably by the time we get to that. Uh, right now, we're going to finish with this story. Uh, the there are some implications here, uh, possibly, uh, particularly for bands of a tardy nature. Uh, I'm looking at you. Guns and Roses, because finally we're going to do this. Madonna's management team, you may have seen this story, Madonna's management team and the concert promoter Live Nation have said they will vigorously defend a lawsuit claiming that Madonna harmed fans by starting her concerts in New York too late. I mean, I don't want to be that person who says, you know, the Americans are far more litigious than maybe we are in this country. But what's what's the story? How late did she go on to actually harm her fans? Well, this is it. So there was a concert in Brooklyn and it was supposed to start. She was supposed to be on at 8.30 p.m. And she purportedly came on at 10.30 p.m. So the concert didn't finish till 1 a.m. And I have sympathy here, like because you're, you're chucked out of the concert venue. You're in the middle of Brooklyn. You're trying to get an Uber. And um, presumably it's the cost of rocketing and so on. So I have sympathy for these fans. And also I, I'm not going to say anything potentially libelous about them now because they clearly have lawyers who are quite hard on the case. Um, but yeah, they said they were like, they're basically left stranded in the middle of the night and it was a weeknight. So they had work the next day and stuff to do. Um, I don't know how much they're suing it for. Usually it's a big number, like we're suing for 42 million, you know, but I, I think they're going to, they want to determine that trial. You'd ask for a refund, wouldn't you? You'd ask for your ticket back. 
uh, ticket money back or the price of your cab home or something. But the, are they going for like a proper money? I mean, if they're going, potentially going to court, they're going to have to to help pay for the whole process, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things like I, I just imagine it would never get to court. I don't know. Maybe Madonna can just go around and say, sorry, here's, here's your cab fare. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I mean, I sort of, I feel the pain. I mean, I, I've been, like, I, I remember, do you remember when 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 Guns N' Roses played Glastonbury last, mm. last year? And the sheer, I think half the crowd were, were so thrilled they came on on time to the minute. I think the other half of the crowd really disappointed. Like, hang on, we were, we were expecting them to come on at midnight. You know, this isn't what I wanted to come and see them for. So you kind of you kind of build it in, I think, for some artists. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think the best thing I saw of this was was it's happened before. So Madonna has faced a law, potential lawsuit from fans for being late before. This is like a few years ago, and she she addressed it in a later performance on that tour. And she said, "There's something you all need to understand, and that is that a queen is never late." And that was her. And I sort of, I really would like this one to go to court so they can just depose Madonna and she'll get up in court and say, here is my, here is my defense. A queen is never late. Everyone stands up and cheers. And that's the end. But um, yeah, I don't know. I sort of, I do have sympathy. I, the other thing it made me remember was when I, um, do you remember when David Bowie did his Meltdown concerts? Oh, I can't yeah. remember which yeah. year it was in. Um, and I got tickets to go and see him. And I was really excited. And we went to see it and he did, he did the full album low in the first half. He did the full album Heathen, the new one, in the second half. And it was very clear that the encore was going to be hits. And I messed up the train times and realised this halfway through and go, oh, hang on, if we stay for the encore, we're going to miss our train and be stranded in London because we lived out in the sticks. So we had to go, like, before the encore. Um, and I just remember I was sat next to someone who looked and dressed like a young David Bowie. Like, you know, a super fan is a proper. And he was the aghast look on his face us leaving before he do it and come back on and play loads of hits um but that was entirely my fault it wasn't david barry's fault like he could have sued me potentially for kind of leaving <laughs> i mean yeah we've we've all i mean i remember particularly when uh, i used to go to a lot of gigs in hammersmith while i was still uh living out uh in parlow and so you've got to get a train in. So you've always, you're at the mercy of the last train from Liverpool Street Station. And if you're going to Hammersmith, that's a lot of tube stations you've got to get to. And running down Fulham Palace Road from the Fulham Greyhound or standing there at the Hammersmith Clarendon thinking, I hope they go on soon, otherwise I'm not going to see the end. And in extreme cases, having to sleep in the toilets at Liverpool Street because somebody's come on really, really late. I, I mean, I get, I, I get all this, but it's just, where, where will this end? Are we going to end up with a situation where, you know, the train companies have to refund you some money if your train arrives late? And there's a sort of sliding scale. The later they get, the more money they, they have to give you. Or maybe it should be that. You know, Madonna, you're an hour late. You owe us this. Uh, Madonna, you're two hours late. You now owe us this. Madonna hasn't arrived at the at the, at the late arriving Madonna in Brooklyn is expected at is now expected at 10.30. <laughs> and, you, and you can apply for a refund. I mean, it's, it's, it's weird because I do think like, oh, actually, I shouldn't, I don't want to take it down to kind of, you know, boring. But I do always think when someone's late, when a star is late, if there's a good reason for it, you know, but when a star is late, it's all the state, it's all the staff in the venue who are going to get home late. It's everyone like, I do sometimes think, come on, you can get to station time. It's your actual job. 
well, I, I for one can't wait to see how far the lawyers take that. Uh, and that's where we have to leave it for this week. But thank you very much for listening, everybody. And if you have enjoyed the show, please do subscribe to us in your podcast app and give us a review if you can and a rating, uh, or maybe even tell a couple of uh, other people about it uh, if you liked it. Uh, we'll be back next week. If you have a question you'd like answered, by the way, on the show, uh, if you have any music-related money matters you'd like explained uh, or queries we might be able to help you out with uh, or you've got any additional information or stories you think we might be interested in the email address Stuart it's um, the price of music podcast at gmail.com it's the price of music podcast gmail.com from us though uh, for this week thank you very much cheerio <laughs>